You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is not here. We're at Stony Brook University, and I think we lost him somewhere on campus. Uh, So we are coming to you today from Stony Brook University's Innovation Lab. If this is the first time you're listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, if anybody can even understand what an RSS feed looks reads like. Um, iTunes, Android, email, and on Google Play. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, www.thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at, at @thelibrarypros, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. So today, joining us is David Ecker. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thank you. This is kind of fun. Yeah, this is neat, right? Yeah. Okay, we're coming. Uh, we're, we're going to speak to Dave today about uh, his position here at Stony Brook University. Uh, but first, we wanted to talk a little bit with Dave about uh, his background. He's the, currently the Director of Research and Technologies and Innovation here at Stony Brook University, which, is, by the way, is a SUNY school, State University of New York. So tell us about your background. Where did you uh, go to college? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. So my name's Dave Ecker. I went to college at Stony Brook, actually. Stony Brook, what a surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I went here in the early 90s, and I graduated with a computer science degree. And I think it was the best and worst choice in my life to do that because it was really hard, and it was really challenging. It gave me a great logical reasoning, but when I went into the work field, I really felt that that wasn't what I wanted to do, was sit in front of a computer and just program the rest of my life. It was kind of like not the direction I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So I ended up through a number of hip haps coming back to Stony Brook and running some systems and going for my master's in technology and society, which I love because it's more of an overview of how technology and society really interact and where the background of all this comes from, of where science, technology, and the interaction and how this affects us in all kinds of different ways. That's where I came from, my background, from my schooling standpoint. Mm -hmm. I've had a long road to get here from a career standpoint. I've jumped around a whole bunch here. I've been here 20 years in doing all kinds of different roles from computer support to eyeing out a lot of different options. And then this is a passion of mine of really that innovation kind of thing. Well, isn't, isn't it great when you you have a passion for what you do? Oh, yeah. And it's it's like what they say. If you're having fun doing what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. Right. So it, it really is something, when you're enjoying what you're doing, it, it makes the, first of all, makes the day fly by. Oh, yeah. And it also, you know, you see, you could see the fruits of your work here. Right. And it's also what I've always loved about Stony Brook and any higher ed institution is seeing a student grow. Seeing a student from a freshman starting out who basically has no direction, doesn't know where they want to go, to a student who basically takes off and is flying around, has a job that's <clears throat> making more than I am, but <laughs> loving it, having a great time and everything else. And you just see that you were a part of that. And that really makes you feel good and seeing that go on and seeing yeah. them succeed. That, that is a wonderful thing. I, I, to a lesser degree at the public library, I see that when I help people with their devices, and you see the light bulbs go off. Right. And when I worked at Dowling, I used to love to see the light bulbs go off with the student where they didn't get it, and all of a sudden, something clicks, and the light bulb goes off above their head. Literally, it looks like a light bulb going off above their head. Right. 
And it, there's no better feeling to know that you've made the connection and transferred whatever you were trying to teach to them. Oh, definitely. When you see the light bulb, it really like shines, their eyes light up and everything else. And I'm sure you see it a lot at the libraries where you just made a connection that they were frustrated about for the last like two hours. And then they come to you, Chris, and it just changes their whole dynamic and say, you know what? Chris gave me that experience that really makes me want to come back to this Exactly. Place. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's funny. I, it, we, not that we work off a script or anything, but, you know, I asked whether or not you had a background in engineering. It sounds like you, you have an informal degree in social engineering. I do. I have a very informal degree in social engineering, and I think of it that way. I know a lot of engineering concepts, but I'm not that straight engineer. Right, so you, you just I, dabble in, in engineering, enough to yeah. get your face slapped, basically. Yeah, enough to dabble, and yeah. I could fix most computers. I can dig into it. It's funny that one of my colleagues here loves Unix and really gets into that operating system, whatever else, and I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him about it, even though I haven't done it in 15 or 20 years, but I know the concepts. I know what he's doing and trying to struggle to get there. Wow. It's, yeah. it's so great. It, it's so nice to hear somebody who, who loves what, what they do. Oh, yeah. And, and it's very hard for people who don't work in either an academic setting or some kind of quasi-educational setting to, to understand the, the, the feeling that you get when, when it clicks and connects or when you have that interaction. And, you know, age melts away. You don't, you know, it doesn't matter. You're 20 years older than that other person. Right. It's, it's almost, um, it's, it levels the playing field. And you see that a lot here. I have to say it's one thing I see why I love working here. A lot of the staff who's trying to help the students, and you see that from everywhere, they're all there for that effort. How do you make that idea click and really change it and where to go? And that's a great thing. And you're right. You see it in the higher ed. You see it in the libraries, whatever else. It, it still has that stress, but when you love and you see it and you made a difference in somebody's lives, it's so much better for them and you. It's some experience that you can never quantify in any sort of way. It's almost like uh, when a performer says it's all worth it when you hear the applause. For right. us, the applause is the light bulb. Yes, it is. It's definitely that light bulb. Yeah, so. that really is so much fun. And yeah. it, it's incredibly rewarding because when that does happen, it means you've done your job. Right. And, you know, you realize you've done your job after you... You, you kind of say, well, it's great, this worked, and it all worked out great, and then you realize, well, that was a job, and it wasn't something we were just doing for the sake of doing it. Right, and it was helping somebody else, which is always what I feel is the most important, is it's a way of giving back, and you're getting paid to do it, which is a great thing. Yeah, exactly. So I have to ask you this question, because mm -hmm. I think we're about the same age, probably a few, maybe two, three years difference. We'll your see, I'm pretty young, so. Your, your first computer, was it a Commodore 64? No, uh, 128. A 128. So how I got into computing was really interesting. Basically, my f uh, I got into computers when I was really young. Um, I had a reading problem. So I got into uh, computing when I first was starting to read, and my mother bought me a Commodore 128 because she wanted me more than just the gaming side of it. Right. I couldn't get it to work. I was reading one of these magazines where it had zeros and ones, and you had to sit and put zeros and ones in to get the Binary. Work. You went binary. I went binary. Wow. Went and I was sitting there trying to figure it out, and I had no clue what the hell I was doing. My uncle flew in from California with, his, with my aunt, must have been 13 or 14 years old, comes over, and he goes, oh, I know exactly what to do. You don't need to do binary. Start doing something on the computer and changed my life forever. I stayed up all night working with him on this one. Was it basic? 
the basic and whatever else. Yeah. And I loved it. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do something with technology. And that experience that my uncle gave me was the best thing in the world. And it really helped me set the foundation for what you wanted to do. But yeah, we are similar ages as you yeah. think about that. Yeah, I, believe it or not, I still have two Commodore 64s in my basement <laughs> with the five and a quarter inch drive. No, they're gone. <laughs> my wife won't let me keep them. They're gone. That, that's one thing I eventually I want to do at work. I want to do uh, either a full-blown museum for a month where mm -hmm. I put all my old junk out there and have other people bring their junk out. Or in the, in the uh, we're calling it the studio. It's our makerspace that we're building have one table dedicated to old tech and every month swap it out with another old piece of equipment, like a 386, which I have, or uh, an Apple uh, 2C yeah, I have. Yeah. You know, or just to have it there because it's so much fun to see kids. And I'm talking like my kids are, are f almost 15 and 10, but even the six-year-olds say, what's that? Well, so that was funny. Over this summer, we have not the different tours and everything come through the space, and there was these... 10th uh, graders doing some sort of science thing on, on campus and they're out of our science program. The teacher said, can we just walk through your space one day? We heard you doing innovation stuff. We don't know what it is. They walked through and what they loved was the typewriter that's yeah. now over there. They sat there and played the typewriter for the hour and there was 15 students around the typewriter going, can this actually work? Did they type? Was the ribbon whatever else? And the teacher basically emailed me the next day and said, that was the best thing in the world. They never saw a typewriter before. Isn't that funny? Yeah. You, you I, I remember that. typing papers with a typewriter. It's I remember whiteout, and I oh couldn't God, live yeah. without whiteout. Oh, yeah, and, or the correct tape. Oh, yes, exactly. Oh, God, the correct tape. When, I remember <laughs> when I was really little, my father, he, worked, he was a police officer, and the city was getting rid of the old-fashioned royal typewriters with the arms. Yeah, so it was before the, the uniball. So when the uniball came in, they, they were throwing them all out. So my father brought one home. I wish we still had it. But oh, yeah. we played with that for hours with oh. the bell and the arm to push it exactly. across. Exactly. It would go across, and then you push it and everything else. That's what's so fantastic. And you just think about, in our lifetime, where the technology has gone to. Yeah. I was going to say, well, just think about how much technology we have in our phones right now. We can do more on exactly. our phones than we could have done 20 years ago or anything else. This, uh, it has, my phone has so much more power than my old 386 with a 40 megabyte hard drive. Oh, yeah. You know, it was running two hertz, I think. Yeah, but just even think about it from our college days to now. Like oh, one God. Of the, one of the things I remember in college was I was driving home one night, and it must have been about 9, 10 at night. It was raining and pouring. There was a guy pulled over on Nichols Road over here, and he just looked lost. So I pulled over and I said, do you need help? He goes, my car doesn't work. I can't call my father or anything else. I said, do you want to ride to a payphone? And, <laughs> and now you say, payphone, what the heck is that? Yeah. There is no payphone. Now, if you don't have a phone, it's like, what are you You're doing? You're weird. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, if somebody pulls a flip phone out, you you know, what is that, from the 20s? Right. Yeah, it's just, it's completely different world now. No, it is. And it just changes everything you do and you, every way you think about oh, yeah. everything else. So. Totally. So that's where I came from. That's my background. I'm born and raised on the island. I've mm -hmm. never left, and I love it. So, so that that one experience with with the binary, and then with your uncle coming up from California, that's what got you hooked, huh? That's what got me hooked years ago, and it's kind of run that way ever since then. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Do you, this is a little aside. Do you okay. remember the? Because uh, I know that I had it. We'd go to the bookstore and we'd buy a, a paperback with the code with the. Was it? it was a it was not visual basic it was regular basic mm -hmm. it had the programs and you would sit there for hours and plunking it in and 
Yeah, I remember getting a magazine that sit there and do that. Yeah. Where you sit there and you plug it in and you say, okay, I moved the little man that way. That was such an accomplishment just doing that. Oh, yeah. And so that was mine. I did that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it was so much, it was so great as a kid because you felt like you accomplished something. Exactly. And I think that's what this whole culture that's changing and what we're eventually going to talk about with on the innovation side is doing. It's trying to reopen minds to start thinking that way and thinking in a different way about stuff. Definitely. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, thanks for telling me a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, so we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this amazing space that you gave me the tour in earlier. Um, so we're going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hey, we're back, and uh, thanks for sticking with us. Today, uh, Bob is uh, lost somewhere. I think he got lost in that stony brook that you guys made. Maybe he's <laughs> yeah, down in, under the fountain sleeping. He probably is, or between the fountains, looking at the water going down the brook. Or actually, maybe he's pretty smart, and he's at that Asian restaurant that's down well, over I, in the Long I'm jealous because I'm hungry as hell. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so we're back with Dave Ecker, who's the Director of uh, Research Technology and Innovation here at Stony Brook University. And he showed me the, uh, it's the Innovation Lab. Is that this is the Innovation it? Lab. That's what we're And there's one of actually three This is one of three units. facilities that we have. Um, this is the main facility, and we just opened two other facilities on campus that are sparking innovation and how do we have that creativity ideas of what's going on. And as we walked around here, one thing that I loved was that I'm looking at like the tables, and they look like the lab tables you had in high school, except instead of the black tops, they're green. And they have all these old buttons and switches and knobs, which probably don't do anything anymore. Actually, some of them still work. So this was an old physics classroom mm -hmm. 30 years ago. And basically, they never edited or changed it. It just had been sitting like idle for 15 or 20 years. Excuse me. They never really used it. And then they said, the space is empty. What do you want to do with it? And College of Business was interested in doing something, but they didn't know what. I'm very friendly with the business school because he's always thinking about how do we spark innovation and spark companies. And he said, Dave, if you can come up with an idea for the space, you can do it. And I knew maker spaces and innovation spaces were really taking off. And I have a whole passion in doing this because I saw my son doing this and he's now in ninth grade and I want him to actually have a chance to come to Stony Brook. And to do that, I really have to make this space something he would want to work in. And if it's not, he's not going to come. So I was like, okay, how do we start to do that and move this along? And it's funny, we actually met the professor who taught here 30 years ago. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. She came in one day after seeing our ad, and she's like, 
can I walk in? And she had like tears in her eyes and I'm like, well, sure, why? She goes, I taught here 30 years ago and I just wanted to see if the classroom changed that much. And it didn't. It's still the same kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, just looking around at the, the cabinetry that's, that's attached to the walls and everything, it looks like my, it could be my high school, you know, science room. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what I love about the, the space is that, well, first of all, you don't have an interior decorator. <laughs> It's really? And you it, mean, I, I thought I did a good job with me and students kind of trying to develop and throw paint on the wall or well, whatever I else? Mean, that, that's, that's why I love this, because it's, you could tell that you come in here and it's all business. You're mm -hmm. coming in here, and like we were talking before, and we have to tell the story a little bit later about your green screen box right. room area. Um, it looks like it's made for business. It's made to go. It's just, you know, you're not worried about maybe making moldings around it to make it look pretty. It's just there to work. It is, and that's what it's all about. It's how do you make that space that's there for the students and basically empowering the students to run the space and do what they need to do. And how do they come up with that next idea to create, to develop, to envision what's going on. And it's all about that. And that's always been our passion mm -hmm. of how do we make a space that's really creative, dynamic, and to help generate those ideas that these college students have that they're trying to take to the next level? And how do we give them access to tools that they don't have access to anywhere? How do we give them a space where they just can come and go? They don't have to do it by classroom or anything right. else. It's not you know per period or per session or something like that. Exactly. And the other thing that I love, like we were talking before, you had those old op optiplexes. Yep. You know, I love it when somebody takes something old and not only makes it work again, but makes it so useful that it almost becomes a cog in the machine. Oh, definitely. And it's like that wingman controller that was dropped off that the students are playing with now. Probably from like 2001 or 2000 or something like that. Oh, yeah. Well, I saw a student this morning taking a part of the original uh, webcam, and she was actually taken out just to get the uh, <coughs> the video piece. And I'm like, what are you doing with that? She's like, oh, I'm going to create something. You, you'll see. I was oh. like, okay. <laughs> and she won't tell me what she's creating. And I'm like, I can't wait to see what this girl does. But that's the kind of cool stuff you see if they have those ideas and see where they go with it. Mm -hmm. And we really try to do that in all kinds of different ways. One of the things I had told you about was Wolfie Tank, which is a pitch competition we run for students to get actual live feedback. They don't get any money or anything else, but we bring outsiders to give these students actual feedback on their ideas, if it's something they, they can take forward or not. Students love it. We get all kinds of ideas presented, and you never know what they're going to do. Last year, we had somebody who like had a mosquito thing. This year, we have some really good ideas. I'm not ready to share yet, but we'll see. And, you know, when people talk about, well, it didn't work, well, it took Edison how many times before he invented that light bulb? If he would have quit after the third time, I mean, we'd, we'd probably just have the Tesla oh, yeah. fluorescent lights. But we have this whole culture of a, it's okay to fail. Mm -hmm. And we believe in that a whole bunch. And it, it's exemplified by a number of different things. One of the guys who works tomorrow on Saturday, his name is Nick. We have a 3D scanner so that you hook up to the iPad and you can scan around everything else. Is it a 1, 2, 3D catch one? Yes, a 1, yeah. 2, 3D catch one. Yeah. Well, while Nick was walking through the space one day, he tripped and fell and broke the 3D scanner. And he didn't want to tell me for two days because he was so upset that he'd lose his job. I tell the story of this all the time. He still works here. He manages our 3D printers. He loves it. And we're like, you're going to break something. It's okay. It's all about that. And yeah, it's a, an expensive unit, but guess what? 
it's more important that he learned, you know what? He's going to fail sometimes, but we're still going to come back and we're still going to support you and we're going to help you to do that because in life that happens all the time. Right. And if we can do that for our students, for everybody else, we're going to be so much more supportive and the ideas are going to flow so much better. Absolutely. And, and you know, in order to make an omelet, you need to break some eggs. So oh, if, you, if you broke your, you know, if you broke the scanner on the iPad, oh, well. Yeah, oh, well, you move on. Come well, that, on. that actually, is just the questions keep popping into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, funding. <laughs> <laughs> He's starting to laugh. <laughs> funding, yeah. And, well, and when we talked about this earlier, I, so I, I just love this because it's the same kind of, um, I, is, is Sanford and Son a good reference, I guess? Yeah, it definitely is a good reference. So we started this whole space on $1,500. And everything else we did, I was able to negotiate with my one boss to get me money to pay students to run the space. But everything else from we started with one 3D printer and I actually bought uh, a sewing machine. Everything else we didn't buy unless I bought from my own funds like a garage sale. I bought some hammers or whatever else. Everything else has been donated from different people on campus. It was funny. I had advancement in the space, and they noticed this poster with this uh, students riding some sort of unicycle or something on the wall, and they said, where'd you get that poster? Did you have it? I said, no, somebody offered to print it for me for free, so it gave me something to decorate the wall with. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I can't afford to buy a poster and get it printed. It's almost like a college dorm room. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. So how do you, uh, okay, maybe I'm asking, uh, the, as I'm formulating the question in my brain, is it more that you pick the technologies to come here or the technologies choose to come here and you just let them in? I let anything in. Anybody who wants to donate anything, we let it happen. Mm-hmm. So we just do it. And what ends up happening is the technologies that end up, sparking to the surface that are used more is what the students use more, what's more in demand or anything else. That's what comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually am trying to start to buy some stuff if I can get some funds, but basically it's all what they use more. Right. I told you about the silk screen. Yes. That was something that was donated to us, and to me it's a real mess and whatever else, but the students love it. So that ends up being one of those things that really has come out as one of those popular things because they like to use it. They're excited about it. That's what we're here for. Well, it's it's interesting you brought that up because um, when people, you know, when you go to seminars and lectures about makerspace, it's all about 3D scanning, 3D printing, and, you know, laser cutting and all this other stuff. But what's lost, I think, is the low-tech end of it. Now, yeah. silk screening is a process that's been around for ages. And you were talking about buying hammers. Yeah, I, you had a whole pile of scrap wood over there. You're right. going to build something. And maybe it's in support of the technology, but the whole idea is makerspaces is more than just a, a euphemism for technology. Right. It also means exactly what it says. It's to make stuff. It is. And, and how do you make it out of things you have around every day? Why do you always have to have something expensive to do? Why can't you do it every day? And it's funny, my students are starting to think that way. A student came to me this week and said, Dave, I need a funnel. And I had a, <laughs> and I had a like, Poland spring bottle, one of the half liters. And I turned to him and said, I got to go to a meeting. Here you go. Handed that to him. I left. And he goes, what do you want me to do with this? I'm like, figure it out. I come back about two hours later. He goes, I figured it out. I cut a hole in the bottom. I used the top, and it worked great. And I said, good job. See, you got a funnel right there. So... 
I'm trying really hard to educate and do that. Because and not just I, say, this is how you make the funnel. You have to cut this off and then you take the cap off. You know, you're just saying, figure it out. Yeah. And I think that works so much better. And I think that's what we're trying to do here is how do you do that? And I think exactly as you said about maker spaces, whatever else, it has to be also about that whole creation, whatever else. I love the technology and I can talk about all the technology here and then also in the other spaces, but it's also that, okay, how do you experiment and come up with that idea that's innovative and new or just recycling something that you got free on the, on the curve. See, now we have to talk about the, your, your green screen box because <laughs> I love this story. I'm envious of this story. I want to go now to like an industrial park and find these boxes and do this myself. All right, so what Chris is talking about is when we walked in, uh, you walk into the space and you see this big, humongous green screen. It almost looks like a trifold that you would get for your kid for their science project, except it's not made out of, you know, that, that foam core board. Exactly. It's like nine feet high, taking over like a good part of the room. Uh, I work in information technology and I work in IT. And IT gets all these kind of servers and hardware, these big equipment coming and going. And in the hallway for about three months were these boxes that I call the Madagascar boxes. These, <laughs> these boxes were so big you could ship in a, a zebra in it. And they're just sitting there, and I'm joking with the director like you wouldn't believe, going, oh, what the heck are you going to do with these Madagascar boxes? What animal are we shipping in them? And he's just <laughs> laughing at me. He's like, leave it alone, Dave. One day, he's like, I'm getting rid of these. Do you want them? And I'm like... Sure, I want them. Can we just leave them here? He goes, you can't leave them here. You have to get rid of them. I said, well, he's like, Dave, they cost me $1,100 a piece. I need to get them out of here or, or else <clears throat> I, it's a fire hazard, whatever. So I said, sure, we'll take them. So one of my friends in the physics building stored them. And I had a, two girls working over the summer. And I said, do you want to do something with this? you want to build something with this? They're like, yeah, can we build something? I'm like, sure, go at it, build whatever you want. Here's the space we have. Go do whatever you're going to do. So these two girls, basically, uh, Kelsey and Maddie, basically went and designed, measured, figured out, figured out what paint they needed and everything else, and took these uh, Madagascar boxes and made a trifold green screen that basically takes up half the space that people love. And we've now set up like using our iPhones to put different backgrounds on. And now people are starting to think about filming with it or whatever else. But it's a great story of how you basically use something, recreate it, and make it new again. That's, uh, I love this story. It's because how many times have you driven like on the, the night before garbage collection day and you're driving down your block and you see somebody throw something out and you say, oh, wait a minute, I could make something out of that. And you stop the car and you throw it in, whether it fits or not. You throw it on the roof and you bring it home. And the wife looks at you like, what is that? You're going through the garbage again? You should look at the snack table we have in one of the other facilities. Mm -hmm. It's my neighbors was throwing it out and it still worked. I put it in my car and I drove it here and we're using it because <laughs> we love it. Yeah, I'm all about that because there's not an endless amount of funds. You have to really kind of improvise and come up with ideas. And the more you do that, the more fun this is. So speaking about funds for a minute, do you have a set budget that you get every year or is it kind of like here's $1,500 and make a dollar out of 99 cents? I kind of basically beg and plead everybody on campus for it. I go to different uh, different vice presidents, different stakeholders. So we're uh, sponsored by the College of Business, College of Engineering, Information Technology, and the provost office. And Information Technology hires all the students, so they fund the students. Okay. But they haven't done much else. Excuse me. 
they they up until this year they haven't contributed a whole bunch. They're now trying to start contributing more, but everybody else goes around and contributes some to support the space, mm -hmm. and really that's going on. And it really is me going around trying to do that. And how do we do that to kind of keep those ideas flowing? And it's like an entrepreneurial effort, realizing you have to manage your budget, manage what you can do, and how do you kind of do this going forward? That's that's great. Yeah. Because it, it, it sounds like it's a, it, it's not just in one department, so you're getting contributions from different departments. Oh, yeah. It had to be an interdisciplinary effort from the beginning because I didn't see it not. If I wanted to just be an engineering makerspace, that's great, but really doesn't like that. You have to be able to get the business students involved. You have to be able to get the non-engineers involved, and that really helps develop the whole space. So people want to come here. People want to work here, and they want to come up with those ideas because can't just do it that way and that's really been a passion of mine is mm -hmm. how do we get more and more of different students here because you can attract the guys who want to build stuff all the time but you want to attract the business students who want to do something different who want to look at marketing and how does marketing really develop and what are the tools they need for marketing and the R&D end of product development too exactly so that really helps so I see myself as an entrepreneur as I'm doing that mm -hmm. and that really is like it helps the passion and helps that drive. And the students see it everywhere else. Any way you can do that, that really funds us and says, okay, that's the excitement here. And, and you can really see it, even though it's just the two of us in the room. Mm -hmm. the, the room just screams of excitement just based upon the projects that are unfinished that are laying around and the old projects that are still there, like the thing in the window with yep. the, the you, you tweet to it and it changes colors. It, it just... Looking around, I'm just, you know, drooling. There's microscopes and there's bins with all kinds of parts and things. And it just screams, come here and, you know, let's make stuff. Yeah, and it does. And it's supposed to be, okay, can you make stuff? Can you come up with an idea? Or can you just be in the space and see what somebody else is doing? We're all about, like, it's a, uh, we have it that you have to go through a little tour and introduction to do it. And one of the things we do is it's about sharing. Mm -hmm. If you're going to work in a space, somebody may ask you to take their picture. Somebody asks you what are you doing and everything else, and it's fun, and that's a great thing. There was a girl, Lydia, who I was telling Chris about before, <coughs> who was working on a costume for Comic-Con, and she was here all week using the sewing machine, and one day I had to work with her and say, I'm Dave, what's your name, what are you doing? <laughs> She's like, I'm making a costume for Comic-Con, and I want to thank you so much for giving me a sewing machine. I said, you're welcome, why? She goes, I didn't want to have to commute to the city to do my... My, uh, co my costume, I wanted to be able to do it here so I can just go with my friends. They, were, they all had their costumes ready, and I'm like, that's great. That is great. Yeah, so you, you try to do that because you're going to hit all these different things, and she's an art student. So, so again, there's another major that, that's coming in here and using it. Exactly. Now, I have to ask you, we talked about it earlier, the, um, the thing you have your iPad in in, mm -hmm. the, uh, in the green screen, what is the name of that again? It's called a Padcaster. That thing is amazing. If... I'll try to take a picture of it later so I could put it on the site for, for the episode. It has a professional, almost like boom mic attached to it, and it has an optical zoom lens, and the iPad fits inside what looks like, almost like those old Panasonic um, Toughbooks. Yeah, it is. It's like a Panasonic Toughbook, and it fits right on a tripod, and you can move it around, or you can carry it, and it really gives it a more professional feel. And I have some videos we've done, and we've done it with the Padcaster. And basically, you don't need a DSLR or anything else. You can just do it with that, and it enhances it a ton. That is crazy. Yeah, it was one of my uh, friends in journalism. He was talking about it, and he's like, you got to try this, and it's really cheap. And he goes, I can get somebody to buy it for you. 
and he did, and it really worked out well. It really is neat. Now, I mean, just because we have to. Um, just because we have just to. We don't we, have to do anything. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your 3D printers for a minute, if, if we can right. actually go into the high tech for a minute. You have that's not high tech. That's well, just that's prototyping. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in this space, you have the Taz. Which, which Taz are they? Uh, those are Taz fives. Taz fives. Okay. I love them. I I really wanted to basically, as I talk about money, I scrape around to ask people. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, I needed some 3D printers. I had a MakerBot equivalent that wasn't working as well as I liked. So I asked one of the VPs, I said, look, I really need something for prototyping. And it was the right price point. And Lulzbot made me a great deal for the Taz 5s. And I love it. They're FDN printers. But we cranked out last semester approximately 300 prints on the three, three printers we had nonstop. And we're open about five and a half days a week. And they were going crazy. And that's great and really develops it. And we really feel it's really kind of cool. I find the Lulzbots just, you can bang a lot of them. And I actually don't service them. The students do. And the students can learn how to do it. And they get experience with it. And it's wonderful. That is really great. So do the kids, um, the kids, the students, I shouldn't call them kids. You can, you can call them kids. They may get offended a little bit. They're yeah. really students, so. Do they? Uh, do you have CAD software on any of the computers? Do they work with CAD, or are they just software. stealing stuff from Thingiverse? Uh, there's some stuff from Thingiverse. Some of it has AutoCAD, and they will design all kinds of things. From the last thing I saw them designing was somebody was making a Captain America shield, and he was basically modifying it, and he was learning all about it. And it was funny because was the person I was walking through was a CAD expert, and he does work with SolidWorks. Mm -hmm. And he walked up to the kid and goes. Why are you doing that? He goes, it's a personal project because I wanted to learn how to use AutoCAD better and get more into it. And I, I'm a big Captain America fan. And the professor walking by with me, stopping on the shoulder and goes, that's why you have this system. He goes, because they're learning something on their own. And he goes, I feel like we've contributed to that. And so we have a lot of people who do that. They do it with AutoCAD. They do it with SketchUp. They do it with... You do Pindian. use SketchUp, yeah. Yeah, we have SketchUp. We have anything they want to use because not everybody's at that level for AutoCAD and right. SolidWorks, whatever else they can do it. Some people do things with Thingiverse. We actually have a class, a grad class in material science, who up until last year only designed stuff. They actually never actually printed to see what they actually worked and came out with. Mm -hmm. We now have... And at the end of the semester, they print their designs here in the lab. And they're able to understand wall thickness, how it works, how to actually design it, what do they have to do. Last semester, a whole bunch of students forgot to put bottoms on it because they were designing on a flat surface. And then when it actually printed, there was no bottom. And they looked at it and goes, how do we put anything in it? Uh, I was like, because you guys forgot to put the bottom on you it. You have to draw the bottom. Yeah. So uh, uh, there was something else I wanted to ask you with uh, CAD. Do you feel that um, the students are, work better with uh, with SketchUp, or do they? How do they? How do they begin? Do they start with like SketchUp and then work their way up, or do some of them? Each kid do something different. And just each jump kid in? does it different. It depends on their skill level and depends on what they're trying to do, mm -hmm. and it depends on who's here. So I always have a innovation consultant in the room. There's usually at least two of them here at all times, and somebody knows something about CAD, or if they don't know, they're able to call somebody and say, okay, here's the person to do, how to start them out, what they're wanting to do. Some people just want to download stuff from Thingiverse, others want to actually design stuff, and it depends on their skill level, if they can think in 3D, can they do that. 
Some want to start with SketchUp and Tinkercad. Others were just jumping in and saying, you know what? I need a place to work on my idea with AutoCAD. And I know AutoCAD from either at home, playing on a system. We have like a lynda.com where they watch videos and they learn okay. any way they want to do it. So it just depends on the situation. Now you also have a form too. We do have a form too, but it's not here. I call that in my my advanced team research side. So one thing that we always do is before we introduce anything into our public spaces, we have what we call our advanced team that actually does research on this stuff before we do it. Mm -hmm. So last year, as I told you, I bought an event up form two. It took me like six months to get it. And it's really kind of good because it, of the way the models come out and the way it's the liquid resin. Mm. We love it for more distinct models. We're actually just working with a research professor who's doing some stuff with some nanoparticles and some other cancer cells. And she needed a Petri dish that had a special dimple in it and everything else. And she just basically had one of our students work with her to design it and print it on the form too because she needed specifically clear and she's going to put it through a UV light so it gets the right resin so she can use it for her research and she loves it. You know, that brings up a good point because we have at Sage and we have a form too as well and the clear prints that we get usually fade and, and become like a little white or a little yellow sheen to it. How do you get it back to clear? Do you, do you have to polish it? We haven't tried yet. Mm -hmm. This is the first time we actually used the clear resin to figure it out. She was going to try either polishing it or she was going to dip it in some sort of material in her lab to see what how it stood up and if it would stay clear. Right, because the other concern I'd have would be, you know, with whether or not it, it can work in a Petri dish, whether or not it would degrade the plastic. Right, and it, she was worried about how translucent it was or anything else. Right. Because she wanted to be able to see through it to look at the cells and that stuff. But what we gave her was better than she had, anything she ever had before. Sure. Because she, she was able to design exactly what she needed, not buying something off the shelf or anything else. Right. And we had a, an engineer who actually came to one of my classes when we were doing a demonstration on a 3D scanner. And uh, he came with a flash drive that I didn't know he had. And at the end of the presentation, he kind of leaned back in his chair and he threw the, the flash drive on the table and says, so, think you can print that? And there were parts that he was designing to for a new design for awnings. Okay. So did you see like in, like in Queens or Brooklyn mm -hmm. for the stores, the commercial awnings? So I said, yeah, I'm sure we can do that. And I printed the... The, uh, the forms form that he had designed in uh, AutoCAD. And I had texted, I emailed him that morning when it was done. And within an hour, he was there and he couldn't wait to get his micrometer out. So he went home and he mic'd them up and he said they were accurate to within a thousandth of an inch. So he was really impressed with the, the quality of the prints. Oh, yeah, I'm very impressed. The form two really has great quality. It's a little expensive. And they're and high maintenance too. Yeah, well, I haven't done the high maintenance yet, but it's very expensive to do, and mm -hmm. it's why I have it in that back room, because I bought enough filament to cover me, but I'm not sure how it's going to be a cost-effective model going forward. Right, it's not student. something you want to print, you know, 3D sunglasses with. Right, like you don't want to print 3D sunglasses or a little thing off a thingiverse. You want to do those more specialty prints that require different solid material or anything else. Sure. And it's similar to, like, we have a... HSC professor who we're working with who's doing something very specific and needs it solid and be able to hold up to some sort of uh, stress or strain, you have to do it on the form too. The, the PLA and the ABS just really can't handle any sort of too brittle uh, ideas. So. Right, right. So tell me about some of the other things that you have here. I mean, I love the old school drawers with all the little tools and parts and stuff in it. Well, you didn't open all of them. You didn't realize they're all filled. 
I could see. Yeah, I could, could see through. But the you, you should see all the drawers. You can open every single one. There's something in it because people donate all this kind of stuff, and we just have thrown it in the drawers, and we haven't even gotten to open all of them. But there's a lot of things here from 3D prints. We have some hulls that uh, our solo boat team developed. We have cups that are donated from uh, athletics from different things. You have wire like you wouldn't believe. People love to just give us wire or markers or whatever else. And we just kind of give it out and you never see. Paintbrushes seem to be used a ton. And I don't know why, but a lot of people like to do it. And students uh, just do different things. We had a pillow making class at one point, and somebody brought the stuffing in for the pillow making. And it's still sitting here as on the shelf in case you wanted to do that. Compared to what we do with the vinyl cutter, where you basically just cut different shapes, and it's basically a paper cutter where you can cut more more specific shapes and circles inside of the paper, where you don't have to use a scissor to do it. Right. That's a lot more precise. Students use all kinds of different things to come up with their own ideas, and you never know what they're going to do next. And as you figure it out, but like you also have the usual technology, like little bits is something we have here, mm -hmm. and we're trying. It's not to just for kids. It's not just for kids, and we're trying to run a hackathon on it, where they try to augment the body with it. And so we have ten teams who are working on that to do a presentation. Actually, next weekend, straight twenty-four hours hacking and demonstrating how little bits and art and technology. So we actually partnered with the art and the music. Art, music, computer science, and us are partnering to do that. And how do we get the music guys to start doing it? And it seems like a lot of music students are using the little bits to actually make synthesizers and other things with the with the little bits, which is really kind of exciting. It's seeing from a different angle. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, as you said that, I just had this image in my head of like Duran Duran in 1984 where they were, had all these monstrous computers around the keyboards and they would stand around like a whole bank of keyboards just to make these different sounds. And now we're doing it with microchips and, and little bits and Arduinos and... Yeah, and little speakers and everything else. And yeah. uh, the girl who was doing it one night, she, she brought her own music machine and she was using the little bits to make music and she plugged in her iPhone to pipe it out through the speakers of the little bits and everything else. And they said it was a great time just hacking away as you're doing it because this person knew how to do the synthesizing aspect of it. And it's like, great. You really see the different aspects together. Let me ask you a little bit about the safety end of things. I know you said you had a lot of soldering iron stuff going mm -hmm. on. and Do, do you give um, like a, a safety lesson before the, you, you say, here's a soldering iron, don't burn yourself? So anybody who wants to use a space has to become a member. And what your membership is is a student who's trained in our space who basically walks you around and talks to you about the different safety aspects. Mm -hmm. They show you what a hammer is, and they say, when you're hammering... You don't, don't hit put yourself your in the head with this. <laughs> <laughs> and don't put your finger down and bang with your finger right there. And the same with soldering mm -hmm. and everything else. We have some things. You have to wear safety goggles. You have to know what you're doing. And every student who works in the space has been trained on, okay, what's the practical procedures, how to do it. These ta tables are 30 years old, so they're rock solid. Mm -hmm. So you can bang the crap out of them and they'll still be solid. So that's one of the reasons we like it. And then we kind of watch them a lot. They also sign their life away on a form that legal has I was set just going to say. So we have worked with legal and they set up a form and they sign their life away when they first become a member so that they can't get hurt. But we have two first aid kits and we have a phone that's straight into university police that you can call 911. Fire extinguishers? Uh, we don't have a fire extinguisher yet. We have nothing that's flammable. 
uh, well, soldering irons. The soldering irons, but really not going to cause you cause a very little fire on it. It'll just burn something. It won't yeah. cause a flame. It won't anything. cause a flame or anything else. So we're pretty lucky that way. Mm-hmm. And my st- we have water that you can turn any sink and throw it on. So we're pretty good that way. And that's how we've stayed away from safety. Mm-hmm. It's why I haven't gone as far as like a power tools or anything else. We have no power tools in the yeah, space. Yeah, that's, that's not a good idea. Yeah, but I keep getting asked for like a power drill or something, and I keep talking to our environmental people about can how do we do that from environmental health and safety perspective. Mm-hmm. But we feel they're going to have to go to a second level of training to really do that. And since we're open that anybody can walk in that's associated with Stony Brook, we have to figure out how do we actually try to do that in the space. One thing I saw that caught my eye that I didn't get to mention to you before, you have an oscilloscope. Yes, we have a couple of them. Tell me what you do with them. The electrical engineers use them a whole bunch. Really? Because they yeah. look like they came out of like the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They are. Like well, that. those are the newer ones. Uh, those were donated from chemistry. We actually had one with uh, vacuum tubes on it when we no first opened. No way. Yeah, we had a, there's an electri- electrician here who's been here 30 years, and he fixed up one of the ones with vacuum tubes on it and gave it to us. But it took up so much space that we eventually had to get rid of it. But we have these old oscilloscopes. The electrical engineers use a ton. And then there's also a mechanical engineering uh, major here. The Mech 101 class, uh, the professor actually makes them build a robot. And they have to solder, build, and they do a lot of work with the oscilloscopes to measuring what's going on with the voltages and everything else. And they have to build it from, in one semester, they have to build a working robot. And if they don't do it, they don't pass the class. That's crazy. Yeah. This is like science uh, on steroids. Yeah, so there's lots that go on in this space, and you never know who's going to work here each day and what they're going to be doing. So tell me about the other spaces that you have. You have two other lab spaces, and then you have your your office, which is probably, I I would assume, another almost pseudo lab. Uh, It's more like I kind of, it's my office, but the back area Mm -hmm. is kind of that experimental, but it looks like an office because Mm -hmm. we kind of try to clean it up because we also have students who work there to do all kinds of different things from working on computers, but they they take apart our conference table like this, and they will put out a Kanak, they will put out uh, basically wood or whatever else and trying to experiment. So that's more office space. The other two spaces we've opened, one's a design studio. We call it the Innovation Design Studio. Mm-hmm. It's the team room space we're trying to develop, so students who have an idea, they can work in a collaborative space that's kind of different. It's like this space. I don't have a lot of money to do it. But I was able to buy an Amazon Echo. So an Amazon Echo lives in the space. Nice. So it's voice activated. And the students use it to play music like a Starbucks. A lot of people use it for unit conversions. So they like to be able to convert between different units. Two millimeters to a quarter of an inch. Exactly. And you could just ask it and it will give you the answer right away. That's great. So they like it that. And then we also, when we inherited the space, there's a smart board in it. And we find the smart board, we just took the keyboard and mouse and put it on the table and said, if you want to use it, you can use it. We find lots of teams that go there and they just use the whole smart board setup and they're working because we're Google campus, so they do a lot in Google Drive and Google Slides and everything uh-huh. else. They're just working in there a whole bunch. And that's trying to develop those new ideas of how to do it from that perspective, from like team dynamic, how do you do brainstorming, how do you use Post-its and trying to get those idea creation going. Yeah, because it's more than just jumping on a piece of equipment and starting. You have to have a plan first. Yes, and you have to have that idea. And how do you work with the team to even get the idea together? Right. Then the newest space we opened is called the visual, the Innovation V-Hub. 
It's a partnership with our psychology department. We had been talking to them last January about some idea. There was some concept of they wanted to study uh, post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. and how to do that. But they wanted to do something with visualization. And they just didn't know where to go. But they had this room in the basement that they said, if you want it, you can have it. So basically, my boss and I experimented, came up with an idea of how do we do virtual reality and digital displays and 3D displays and put it in the space for them, students and people to innovate. And we built this room in the basement that has a video wall, a 3D display, and an HTC Vive, and also all the displays that you can put your iPhones and your Samsungs in to walk through virtual reality. And it's new, it's really experimental, but it seems to be building some traction. We have a professor at a theater who wants students to do some research now on how that works and how that technology, the virtual reality or augmented reality is coming to fruition. And I think it's new and I think it's really in the infancy stages, but it's really kind of cool of what you're trying to develop and how that's gonna be taking over a different dynamic here. Sure, I mean, just the fact that you, you're using iPhones with VR now too, which is something that Apple hasn't even started yet. Right. That's, that, that speaks volumes in and of itself. Oh, yeah. And you just think about where this is going. Like, I know I like the New York Times app that you can do VR on. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to, like, walk through buffaloes through a field. And you hear the music. You feel like the buffalo's right there in front of you and everything else. And it's like, wow, that's great. On our, uh, on our HTC Vibe, you use Google Tilt Brush. And you can actually paint it. Tilt Brush is fun, yeah. Well, it's so much fun. And for me, I... I helped build the facility, but I never used it up until like last week. Mm -hmm. And so one of my students had me go in the environment and I start drawing a house, like I draw on a piece of paper and he goes, Dave, and cause he's sitting there watching me on the 2D screen. And he's like, do you know you're in three dimensions? And I'm going, what do you mean? He goes, like you're drawing the front of the house, you're putting your lines to try to make it look like it's 3D. He goes, walk through the picture. I go, what do you mean? I walk through the door and I'm looking at it from the back and he goes, now you can draw, like, you can make depth without doing that. And I'm like, holy cow. And it just opened my mind to a whole different thing because you're now seeing depth in front of it you. It adds the Z to the X and the Y. Yeah. And that really just changed everything. Yeah. that The, the vibe is really great. Yeah. It, it, and it, I always think in terms of as an, an educational tool, too, if you're teaching, let's say you're in high school or junior high school and you want to talk about the Grand Canyon, and you're in science, and you're talking about the geology of it. I don't know that there's something out there now, but imagine, and who knows, maybe somebody in one of your labs will, will figure this out, where it shows in real time, in virtual reality, the Colorado River, and as it cuts through the, the, the ground over time, and you can literally watch it, you know, there's something like that, or just the sheer, you know, the idea that you could travel somewhere without even leaving a room. Right. Visit Mount Rushmore, visit Yosemite. But I think exactly the educational aspect, how do you, you we, we were talking about safety in this room or whatever else. Can't, maybe you can talk about machine safety live. Sure. And you actually can go experience it and say, okay, try to experiment in the virtual reality environment. And we do a lot of chemistry. And what happens when you do two chemical mixtures that you shouldn't do and it blows up, but you're blowing up in a virtual reality environment saying, oh, wait a minute, what I do and whatever else. And especially if you can have multiple people in the same environment. Sure. And then you could be educating them. And now let's think about it. Why do they even have to be in the same space? 
Why can't you have a, a professor from Stanford teaching a student from Stony Brook and somewhere else all in the same virtual reality environment? And doing a virtual chemical mix. Exactly. You're lighting a virtual Bunsen burner, and now you're mixing chromium and another alloy to make copper, you know, doing the old the penny trick. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is where the technology is going, and you're just going to see that more and more sure. as we start to try to come up with these innovative ideas and as people start thinking out of the box there. And I think that's where that, <coughs> that facility is trying to go as we start to try to figure out how these all mesh together and move along. Right, because it, right now they're islands unto themselves. And if you think, if, if you can integrate Skype or FaceTime or the video chat element with virtual reality, could you imagine? You oh, could yeah. have somebody standing in the Grand Canyon with a, with a 3D, a 360 camera, and you're standing right next to them virtually. Right, and you could be walking with them as, you, as they're doing it or anything else. Okay. And we think about, okay, you, you want to go and see what's actually happening with Hurricane Matthew. And we see all these weather people who are experiencing it. And getting their brains beat in. <laughs> exactly. Imagine you were standing there with it, and you're feeling, the, seeing the wind and the palm trees going and the rain beating and down. And you're just looking around at everything. Exactly. And you're like, okay, I understand now what's going on. And I, I'm standing there at a hotel, and the, the roof falls off right in front of you. And you're like, whoa, what the heck just happened there? And I, because we're here on Long Island, we've experienced hurricanes. Yeah. A kid in Indiana who has no idea what a hurricane is. They may know about tornadoes, right. but they don't know what a hurricane is to experience. Or somebody, you know, in Arizona in the desert, you know, to, to see it firsthand. It's one thing to watch it on CNN or the Weather Channel. It's another thing to actually stand in it and say, wow, I'm getting pelted. Look, the wind is so blowing so hard that, you know, it's knocking me over. And this isn't one of those wind tunnel simulator things. Right. So, you know, virtual reality, even though you're not getting wet, you're not feeling the wind, the, the whole concept of being just the only sense you don't have is the, the, the physical sense, but you have all the visual and, and audio senses going. You know, yeah, it, but do you think about the visual and the audio senses are so strong sure. that if you're f hearing the wind whiz by you, you're still like, whoa, what was that? It oh, still yeah. gives you that emotional thing. So I think that's where that's going. And I see this as all these spaces as those creation spaces and how you can basically take an idea from one space, build it in the next space, and then visualize it in the last space as you're really trying to get those ideas to the next level, to do a project, to do your own thing, to maybe start a business, or where are you going to go? What amazes me, in, you know, when your mind wanders a little bit, what, we were talking before about your Commodore 128, my Commodore 64, right. and having no idea that this would be here when we hit this age at this point in our lives. It, this is science fiction. We're oh, living in total science fiction now. What's it going to be like in 20 years? I, I can't even imagine it. I, I think it's going to be beyond what even you and I are thinking about because you can't think of this kind of stuff of how it goes. But I think whatever it is, it will hopefully give the younger people a way of thinking differently and whatever else. Sure. Like we're in a generation where we just throw everything out. This is trying to fix that and do something different. I had a student who were doing a uh, appliance autopsy where they were taking apart different <laughs> things this summer just to teach middle schoolers how to do that. I just had yeah. this image of Jack Klugman standing over <laughs> a, a dead computer. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it was. And it was funny because one of the students who I had doing it was a dental student. Mm -hmm. And I said, here's a screwdriver. Here's a laptop. He didn't say what's a screwdriver, did he? No, he knew okay. what that was. Okay, I good. said, take it apart. And he looks at me and goes, really? 
I said, yeah, take it apart, do whatever you want. I left. I came back the next day. I was talking to him. He you goes, have the best job because you just leave and come back. I did. <laughs> I just left. I went to do something else. I had like a meeting or whatever. I came back and I, his name is Ungud. I said, Ungud, what happened? He goes, I never took a computer apart before. He's like, <laughs> and you didn't mind? I said, no. He goes, it's in pieces, Dave. I can't get it back together. I said, so what? Here's another one. He's like, really? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, here, break this one now. I said, what'd you learn? He goes, well, I didn't know it has all these different components inside. He's like, I'm so used to like my iPhone when it breaks, I throw it out or I get another. He's like, yeah. I didn't realize this stuff inside. I'm like, that's what it's all about. It's trying that learning and figuring out there's other things that are going on. And it's getting out of that disposable society of like, maybe you can fix it. Sure. Or take something old, like an old iPod that's maybe a third gen iPod and do something else with it. Right. Like my kids have, um, oh, what the heck is the name of it? A Rove, Rovio or something like that. And mm-hmm. it has the old 30 pin connector. <laughs> and they, they didn't want it anymore because a little part of the screen black got black. Yeah, got a little black on it. So, you know, being the terrible parents we are, they got him another iPod. <laughs> and uh, it's been sitting in the corner. So one day I plugged it in, I charged up the Rovio, and I'm driving it around. And about three months beforehand, they had a remote control car and they were trying to figure a way to rubber band the iPod to it so they could take video of it driving around. Right. So I just plugged the Rovio in and I did, that's so cool. <laughs> well, it's old tech. We're re, you know, yeah, repurposing it. Exactly. And just repurposing it in a right. different way. And then, it, you know, again, the light bulb came on. There was a little spark. Well, maybe we could do this and let's get some rope and tie it to this and let's do that. Thank God I don't have animals. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tie it to the dog. Exactly. And see the dog running around with this thing going on. So. Right. But, you know, it's great to see when that, that spark happens. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with repurposing something. No, there's nothing is. And repurposing is the best thing, especially if you can reuse it in a different way. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there was um, a couple other questions that I had about um, the space and access to it. Is this open for general public use as well? Or is this primarily for students and then... You'd have to have like a, a special appointment to bring classes in, or so. Basically, it's open to anybody at Stony Brook in the Stony Brook community because that's our first focus. So everybody, three village. Uh, not three village, but basically, if you're a student, faculty, staff member oh, on just campus, on campus, okay. Because it's not the most largest facility in the world. It's also not the easiest to get in, get to as well. Yes, exactly. You dealt with the parking issue to get here, and whatever. yeah, and parking is a huge issue here. Yes, it's a very huge issue. So we're focused on this that demographic and then we basically open to anybody else who wants to give a tour they can send us an email and we'll give them a tour show them what we're trying to do Mm -hmm. and then we basically let anybody from that community come in so we have classes that just stop in all the time we had a class the other day who stopped in with 75 students and they just walked in and said can you give me a tour and my students love this kind of concept and they just started giving a tour and they told me about it the next day said yeah, 75 students and this professor said, can I get a tour of this space? I heard about it and everything else. We do that regularly because then it brings those students in because they want to learn something new or develop something else. Mm-hmm. And we're all about the students learning from other students. So we have Workshop Wednesdays where students who are undergrads or grads will teach other students some of their knowledge of what they've learned or something else. Right. From Autodesk to how to use a robot for non-engineers or something else. There's all these different ideas, and we let them experiment. That's great. This is It, it was an eye-opener for me because this looks like something I would build in my basement, mm-hmm. quite honestly. This is you know, a lot of fun. Uh, so tell me about 
you know, what your biggest challenge is here. I mean, I, originally the, the question was, you know, how do you maintain it? But it's really simple because you just take it apart and put it back together again and repurpose yeah. it for something else. So nothing ever really gets thrown out. No, we don't throw a lot out. We kind of just repurpose it or anything else. Uh, I'd say the biggest challenge is trying to make sure that we have it staffed and we're doing different things with it. And it's always something new to come up with those new ideas or whatever those new projects are mm -hmm. and how they develop and where they go there. Interesting. Do you take donations? We take any donation you want. Any people drop stuff off all the time, and we just put it into inventory. That's great. Yeah. Do you ever run out of space? I've had that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've run out of where to stick stuff. That's where some of the drawers and stuff is at this point. We're just not sure what we're going to do. And I know my students want to get a little bit more picky now of like, okay, what they take and what they don't. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a game system sitting up there that's just been there forever that somebody just dropped off and nobody's figured out a use for it yet, but it's sitting there. <laughs> they do whatever, and I'm all about not throwing it out, but at some point you run into a space issue of how much can you store because it's not the biggest room and you want to have ability to work. Sure. So you talked a little bit about earlier about the dental student who came in. Do you get a, do you get any other med students or any people who aren't in this discipline? Well, we're not discipline specific, so it's any discipline in the world can walk mm -hmm. in, and you never know what's going to work in. We've had some health sciences students walk in and medical students, but it's a long way from the medical campus. Because it's all the way on the other side of Nichols Road, right? Yeah, but there's a tunnel that connects it, so you can walk under. But it's a good 15-minute walk, and when their class is over there, they sometimes don't want to go over here. But last semester, we did a pop-up location over in the Health Sciences Center. Mm -hmm. And we set up a table for a couple weeks, and it really got the medical students interested in what they were doing and coming up with those ideas. And so they've been kind of coming and going a little bit, but I know there's been some more questions about can we do something more medically over there. But we have to kind of try to manage all resources of what we can do. Sure. I was just going to say, do you ever take this on the road? I've thought about it, and I'm trying to figure that out right now. Because um, this would be a great thing for public libraries if you, yeah. you know, like did a circuit thing or something. So I, I just had the meeting with uh, my advanced team this morning, which is three students, and we were talking about how do we do a mobile thing with like a cart that we can throw in a car or something else and sure. take around to different places. We were thinking on campus or other places, but we've done a couple maker fairs and whatever else, and we're trying to figure out how do we do that to kind of just say, we're going on the road and here's what we do, and then right. how do you display some of the projects we've done at the same point, generating ideas. Sure. Or even, you know, in, in the Maker Fair kind of uh, idea where, because, I mean, things are just popping into my head about what I can do at my library where if we have just a 3D design fair and we have a whole bunch of kids come in, we give them a month to design something, we 3D print it all, and we have some of your students come and judge them to see which are the most innovative and come up with different categories. And, yes, there will be winners and losers in this. Right. I, I don't believe in everybody getting a trophy. But, you know, think how cool that would be. Oh, it's it's Because you're also getting interaction because these could be, you know, junior high school kids. And now they're seeing, you know, college and graduate level students. And, again, the light bulb, the spark, and maybe now they just found their career. Oh, yeah. And it really is great that way. You can see that when you have those college students do stuff. We go to our children's hospital probably twice or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And we arranged it to go this past summer. And we had this one student, Madeline, who basically was all excited about actually interacting with 
students in the hospital who were having difficulties and whatever else, just trying to get them to think in a different way. And she would go to their bedside and just talk to them, show them a 3D model, whatever else, where it came from, whatever else. And it was so enlightening for her. Mm -hmm. She got so much out of it, as much as the children that were in the hospital got out of it. And you see that, and I could see the same thing at a public library as you do that. As you make those partnerships and you bring these college kids to them, they really like feel empowered that like they're making a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, and I, I know in the public in, in the public uh, realm that I live in, I, I love that. I love to know that you know, kids or even adults, you know, they walk away saying, "Wow, that's really cool." And now we're because we're still developing our space. When we finally do develop it, and we start doing some of those things, I'm hoping if we can get one kid to make a decision, this is something that I want to do with my life then, you know, my career was worth it. Oh, yeah. Well, when you see that, I I started to tell you I had a student, Morgan, who worked with me for two years from the, before the actual space existed. It was just a concept to when she graduated this past spring. And she just developed out of it. She wanted to be a mechanical engineer, but really wasn't doing so well with mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. So she ended up doing uh, some technology and society work but still kept taking some mechanical classes. But she gained a lot of her knowledge here. And now she got a job at Rockwell Collins in Iowa, and she loves it. And she just felt that the collaboration and the support that she got here and the hands-on knowledge was so invaluable in what she can do. And I spoke to her the other day about how they're starting to use 3D printers, and one of the guys, the engineers were there, was like, let me show you how a 3D printer <laughs> works and everything else. And she was trying to be so polite going, yeah, I've used the Taz, I serviced it, I took it apart, I did all this and whatever else, and she didn't want to tell him to embarrass right. him that she had that knowledge sure. and was able to apply it in her new job already. And isn't it amazing that, you know, we were talking before about my, my daughter, you know, being in 10th grade, and it's almost an unfair question to say to somebody who's, you know, a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Because when we were kids, this was Star Trek. This was Star Wars. This was science fiction. This was Rod Serling. And now it's it's a career. I mean, oh, did you ever think that you would be working, doing this kind of thing when you were growing up? No, I never thought I did. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're talking about three, you know, cars that are driving themselves now. But when, when we were kids, it was Knight Rider. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what it was. And you did it that way. Now, could imagine that this is really something you can do as a career and you can actually develop this and come up with the next thing or just experiment. It's going back to that whole play thing. And that's what I think the libraries are doing a really good job is getting into this field from the makerspace and into the communities. It's trying to get them to experiment and be more playful. You think about as we get to be an adult, we don't actually play. We don't have time to just experiment, tinker, whatever else. Correct. But if we can kind of encourage that in our communities, in our areas, from the libraries and everything else, it's only going to help them to play and say, play is part of life. Mm -hmm. And if you can play and experiment, you're going to succeed in ways that we've never thought about. You know, in that same vein as well, we were talking before about Edison and you know, how many times he failed before he actually you know, succeeded with the light bulb and sound recording and everything else. If you think in terms of the way things were for so many years, think about it, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. You can't count the 40s because of the war. Right. There was a lot of innovation during the war. Mm -hmm. But things just progressed at a slow pace. Now, there's such a, a quick progression of product development. And you know, a new iPhone comes out every six months. A new Samsung comes out every six months if it doesn't catch on fire. 
you know, there, there's such a rapid development of things now, even to the point like there's TV shows like Shark Tank where mm. people are developing new things. And part of that, well, part of it is the funding, the GoFundMes and, and those well, kinds and of things. And the Kickstarters and the right. Indiegogos. But the whole idea that you could go and maybe not really pick through somebody's garbage and build something and come up with a new, develop, a new, a new item, but there's so much more in way of innovating and experimenting where Edison was doing it with pieces of wood and glass and he needed special equipment to pull, you know, to make the vacuum so the, the light bulb would work. Now it's a matter of tinkering, taking old components or repurposing processors or even finding ways to make an old processor, you know, faster by amping it up or doing these different things and then recreating it and saying, well, then if I take a modern processor and do this, what will it do? Right. You know, there are so many different things. That I, I, I guess it, there's more of an acuity now uh, with, with the teens and the young adults and, and the people in their 20s and 30s now that didn't exist when we were that age, and certainly not when our parents or grandparents were that age. Oh, I def- definitely think it is. And I think it's also there is an expectation of things changing very rapidly. Sure. And that's just the way of the world, and you have to get used to it. If you think about when we were growing up, it was never that way. Never. It was never going to be. It was like, this is how it was, the standard kind of things. And you go to college, and you get a job, and you wear a tie. And, and you're there, and that, that job's you for your life. Where yeah. now, if you're in a job more than four or five years, people are like, wow, you're a long you're the old timer. Time. Yeah, yeah, you've been there forever. Yeah. So you have to start thinking that way. This is always changing. And our kids are so used to like going, okay, yeah, I just do everything in the cloud. I do everything in Google, whatever else. Uh, when Google's down, my son's like, what do I do? I'm like, you Oh, know. yeah. When we're, we're not connected to Wi-Fi or 3G. <laughs> my kid's like, I'm bored. And one of my daughters actually listens to this, and she's going to come in and yell at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, I, I, Dad, the Internet's down again. And now they figured out how to actually reboot the router and revert, <laughs> you know, restart the, the wireless router and, and, and reboot the modem and all that other stuff. But it's not only your daughter. It's everybody it's at that everybody. age. Yeah. They're, they're so connected and so going. Uh, one of my friends takes his daughters up to Maine, and he's like, I have to find some place that has Wi-Fi for them to live in. He's like, because they just look at it and stare. They're like, because they don't have their Netflix. They don't have texting their friends or whatever else, because mm-hmm. it has to be with them no matter where they are. And I'm like, but isn't it vacation? You Aren't we just as guilty as I hold up my phone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure mine's going right now, going, what's going on? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I have like, there's been like 15 or 20 notifications since we started. Exactly. Yeah. So. But, and it, it is funny when you do go to a place where there's no Wi Fi, there's that initial shock. But then, then they realize, wait a minute, the lake is beautiful and I want to go swimming. And, and then it kind of fades. And for a while, you get to be back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And isn't that so enlightening and great for them? And I think that's what this is trying to do as we think about it. Yeah. And it's doing it with the technology, whether it's high tech or low tech where you're building, you know, the trifold green screen. Because that, that, that takes a lot of ingenuity. And I think at the end of the day, whether you're doing something with the high tech stuff or low tech stuff, it's more the ingenuity and the problem solving, which is something a lot of kids don't really have nowadays. It's the problem solving MacGyver kind of skills. Oh, definitely. And I think it's saying it's okay to try it. Yeah. And it's okay to fail. It is. It's and my wife will get mad at me because we have two junk drawers. And she'll say, oh, would you just throw that out? And no. then three weeks later, this is broken. How do we fix it? And I'm reaching in the drawer and I'm pulling that item out. 
No, now she's going to tell you, Chris, go donate it to Dave's lab. He needs more stuff. <laughs> oh, jeez, I'm not giving <laughs> that stuff up. <laughs> but that's what she's going to do, and that's a great place to do it. So. Sure, absolutely. At least I know it's going to get good, you know, put to good use. It's not going to end up in a landfill. That's true. Well, wow, we really went crazy talking yeah, about all did. this stuff. But, I mean, we could sit and talk for hours about this. I'm this sure is, we can. This is an amazing space, and we haven't even seen the other two. No, definitely uh, not. Then we're going to be back here in November uh, with one of the library groups to, to get a tour of all the spaces. So we are going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we are going to ask Dave. Okay, here we go again. If you've listened to our podcast, you know this is where the 032 list is. Uh, we're going to ask him the top 10 qu library questions that we ask uh, everybody who appears on our uh, program, whether they're a library person or not. So uh, thank you to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for giving us the idea to calling it the 032 list, which corresponds to the Dewey number for top 10 lists. Okay. So we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk to Dave about the top 10 list. <laughs> Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, this is Chris. Bob is st lost somewhere in campus. I hope the campus police didn't pick him up. Uh, uh, if they did, no big deal. But that's okay. They don't arrest anybody here. Oh, no. They just kick him out onto Nichols Road and say, walk home. Well, they'll help him find his car and say, okay, <laughs> go back that way and you'll be fine. So we're with Dave Decker. Dave Decker. Dave Ecker. See, I always I flub every single time. Dave that's Ecker. okay. It's just say Dave or whatever else. Okay, so he's going to be our next participant or victim. <laughs> oh, no. What did what I do here today? <laughs> so it corresponds to that Dewey number for top 10 list. So before we begin, I just want to give a little credit to uh, the website, the Literary Hub, which is a website that inspired our list of uh, top 10 questions. You should check them out because they do some really great things for libraries. Their website is www.lithub.com. They have a Twitter feed, which is at LitHub, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash LitHub. They do a really great job educating and promoting things about libraries and things that librarians do, and just a lot of good informational stuff. So check them out. They're really, really good. Thank you, Literary Hub. So first question, and people have been pointing out that it's really like 11 questions. but It's 11 questions? I don't yeah. know. That's asking a lot, Chris. Come oh, on. Man, okay. Okay. So what did you want to be when you were a kid? What did I want to be when I was a kid? So, well, after 13 or 14, I wanted to play with technology. Before that, I think I wanted to do something with math. I was always very good with math, so I wanted to do something related to math. i now thinking about now would I want to be an accountant, and I think it's really boring to be an accountant. Oh, God, it's got to be. Yeah, exactly, especially like you're just sitting there keeping track of numbers. But... I think that's where I wanted to go, and I'm glad life didn't take me that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what was your first memory of a library, and who uh, brought you to the library for the first time? My mom. My mom was a big supporter. I grew up in Middle Country, a school district okay. right here on the island, and my mom was a bigger supporter of the library. My it's a great library, too. Yeah. My first memory was probably like 
in kindergarten or first grade, and we would go and we'd sit and read books and everything else, and she was a big reader of Holocaust romances and everything else, and I would say we were there, I'd say every week, uh, getting different books and everything else, and it's funny, my son's gotten into it, and one of the things we support is Miller Place has a free library that you can go in, and mm-hmm. it's only open Saturdays and Sundays for a couple of hours, and we go all the time to take out different books, and my son and I love it, just supporting reading, and especially like nowadays, so many people don't read as much, mm-hmm. and we love the physical book to really get in and get, get the feel. It's different than reading like online or any sort of way. Yeah, sure. So... Before you went into this field, was there another field you went you wanted to go into before that? Like, or you st- your career was going to start someplace else, and then you switched to this? Um, before this, I had spent a good twelve or thirteen years in computer support, mm-hmm. where I was fixing computers, running an organization that did that, and that I loved. It was a passion of seeing somebody's computer when I had to fix it, talking to different people and understanding it. And I thought I'd do that forever, but. Life changed, and I did this, and I think this is a really better fit mm-hmm. because it's kind of coming up with that idea and doing it differently from a innovation makerspace concept. Okay, I'm going to modify the next question because usually we ask who your favorite fictional librarian is, so I'm going to ask who your favorite fictional IT guy is. Favorite fictional IT guy? I don't even know if I can think of one who's fictional. So somebody who I can just make up out of the idea. I mean, the, the, the easy one would probably be, um, oh, what's that show with all the geeks? I was thinking Chuck, uh, like on the TV show, that. But you're thinking of Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory, yeah. And so can you tell I've never watched it? Yeah, <laughs> so that's what I was thinking. And if I had to choose somebody, I'd probably choose Leonard from Big Bang Theory. Okay. Uh, basically, just because he's more that geek, but he's not as far out as Sheldon is, where what Sheldon's doing in his own little world, so... Mm-hmm. So if you weren't doing this, what mm-hmm. would you be doing? What kind of work would you think you would have ended up as? Please don't say accountant. No, I don't think I'd end up as an accountant. I think I'd still be in higher ed, and I think I'd be helping students in some other way in, in either this institution or some other institution really making a difference because that's what I've always felt is how do you see a difference in some a student's life and how you can help contribute to their success. Okay, so um, what... Is or what is your favorite section of the library now? Do you prefer nonfiction, fiction? I'm still a fiction kind of guy. You're a fiction guy. And I usually like things that involve like government conspiracies or something like that. Mm -hmm. And always things that are really out there that I hope will never take place as I read about it going, okay, this CIA agent's trying to protect the president because somebody else is trying to do something else to him or whatever else. Mm -hmm. So. So. I'm going to modify the next question as well. Because if you had an infinite amount of space and budget, what would you put into this uh, this innovation lab? Because usually it's what would you add to your library. But So I think what I would do is if I had an infinite amount of budget and a dream, yeah, I'd like to build a building. I was going to say get your yeah. own building, right? I'd like to have a building where you basically have it where you have different floors that do different things. Mm -hmm. Where you walk in and you actually do what you asked me. I want to have a community space where anybody from Long Island could actually come in and do workshops, experiment, come up with ideas on the first floor. And then you start to go up as you went. 
and then you start like team dynamic space as the next level. Then you develop into like the build space and kind of ideas. Then you go into like the more heavy machining where you talk about laser cutters or CNC machines CNCs or whatever else. Yeah. And then you take it to another level where it's mentors, where really mentors are helping you to understand and how to take your concept a new idea to a business to develop it, how to do an entrepreneurial side, and then also have incubator space where people could rent out a desk and a chair in a room just like this where you have 30 or 40 other entrepreneurs doing that and you're experimenting, you're coming up with ideas. I like the WeWork model where they have unlimited flowing beer all the time or anything nice. else. And trying to do that, and I think it really helps that new economy that this is all about mm -hmm. and how that develops as we do that. And I think if you think about it from any library perspective, as you start to do that and you start to have those ideas, how do you create that? How do you build that kind of concepts of what you're doing? And I think there's lots of options there to do that. Okay, so um, what do you love about your library? You're still a middle country patron, right? I'm still a middle country person, but, but I don't live there anymore. <laughs> so I, I, I live in Port Jeff, so I'm a okay, Port so Jeff Okay, so you're a Port Jeff Free Library, yeah. Well, I'm in the Port Jeff Free Library, but I said I used the, the Miller Place one a little bit also. Mm -hmm. um, what I love about it is I love the actual recycling and not always having to buy something else and rereading somebody's book that somebody else just read or whatever mm -hmm. else. And I love that the contributions that they're trying to make to really energize what's going on. One thing about the Port Jeff Library, they have a whole teen center, mm -hmm. and they have like a whole mini makerspace and activities that they kind of generate with the teens. And my son's in that category, and it was funny, the other night they said, okay, we're going to do a Pokemon run around Port Jeff of like, okay, how's that work with technology? And they're helping to guide them to think about it. And then they're coming back and saying, well, here's the books that we have, and here's what you can read about what's going on or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And you see the kids take those ideas from a technology perspective and then sit and like sit in these couches and open the books and start reading yeah and starting to get into it and i think that's really the merging of what's going on and i think the libraries are doing that in such a good way okay so again i'm adapting these questions a little bit what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened here in the, the weirdest, the thing, weirdest thing not necessarily the worst thing but the weirdest thing because weird things happen in libraries all the time What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened here? And that's that's a strange one. I'm trying to think weird. I probably probably the weirdest was we run uh, there's a student paper, and a student paper likes to sometimes look at some of this illicit material and ideas and whatever else. So they wanted to print something on a 3D printer that probably isn't really appropriate to print in any sort of way mm -hmm. and. So the guy was trying to do like a banana or something else and trying to portray it as other things. And I was right. like, okay, that's a little weird. And then he wanted to like film it and then modify the film of what it was doing. And I was like, yeah, that's okay, a little weird, yeah. that's a little weird. Yeah. Okay. So uh, usually we ask this question, who's your regular patron? But who who is somebody that, that comes in or has come in that's kind of one of your favorites? Do you have a favorite <laughs> student or am I treading on thin ice with that one? I don't have a favorite student at all. I think they all have great ideas and development. Mm -hmm. There's not somebody who stands out as a favorite. Okay, so this is our, our last question, and uh, it has to be library-related just because of the nature of it. That's fine. What are people without library cards missing out on? <laughs> a wealth of knowledge that you can't get anywhere else. 
Yeah, that's a good one. Um, a lot of people say that. They, some people say everything, or you know, it, it's just nice to know that people value the library. Oh, the library gives so much more resources than you could ever imagine, and I don't know what we do without it. And we're very big patrons of it, and I know all about what our libraries do. And I just know, I think it's something my mother always taught me was the value of the library and what it can do to further your knowledge in a, a field that you never know about. Yeah. It could be. It, I, just working in it, I've learned new things every day, not just the, the tech stuff. No, it's not all the tech stuff. Sometimes it's just taking a book and looking at something else. And it's funny, like you guys still have encyclopedias. and We have one left, I think. But it's like looking up something in an encyclopedia or whatever else. We trust Google so much nowadays. And how do you know Google's telling us the truth? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for having, having me in. If Bob would have come, he's, what do you think he is now? Maybe uh, he's stuck at the hospital. Maybe they put him in a CPAP. Maybe they did. Yeah. Even there. Yeah. But yeah. it's a it's a beautiful hospital. They just rebuild it, so I'm sure he's having a fun time. <laughs> yeah, there we're is over here. For people who don't know, Stonebrook University also has a very large hospital. I think it's one of the tallest buildings in in on the island. Right? I think it's one of the tallest buildings. Is it bigger than NUMC? I don't know for sure. That's a good question. I, yeah. I, NUMC I, is a hospital in Nassau County. Yeah. Um, but I know that I have a friend that lives in Connecticut, and he always he'll text me and say, "I see the big building on the <laughs> island from across the the sound." Oh, yeah. So so it's definitely one of those distinguishing landmarks here. Oh, it definitely um, is. But I want to thank you for, for having us in and uh, and talking about all this great stuff that you have going on here because I'm inspired now. Now I have all these mental notes that, that I'm going to take back to my library and say, well, look, we can do this and we can do that. We don't have to spend a billion dollars to do it. No, you don't have to. And I think that's the best thing you can get out of it is you can go and do these kind of spaces without a lot of funds. Right. And you just need a passion and an excitement of, how to do that, and you can go. Like, There's all these resources of people throwing stuff out. How do we go and do that and repurpose it? Right. That's excellent. Well, thanks again. No problem. Thank okay, you. Okay, so thanks. Uh, and that's all the time we have left for this edition of the, uh, of the podcast. And if you have any questions or comments on our show, please go to the Contact Us section of our website at the library pro, uh, sorry, thelibrarypros.com. We'll also have notes and links from uh, all of our episodes. And you can also check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. Um, so don't forget also to subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, email, and Google Play. Remember, the opinions stated by The Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and not those of uh, anyone else, including the Station Public Library, the M.S. Clark Memorial Library, Stony Brook University, or anybody else. Thanks for listening, and come listen to us again. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves. Mr. Christopher